And the same thing. It's like, you're going to, you're going to poop on my screen. I, I don't have to like this. Radio Drome. Welcome to another episode of Radio Drome. I am Josh Hadley. With me, as always, is the one, the only. I secretly cloned him, and he doesn't know it, so he's not actually the one and only. The Cecil. Yes. Although somebody told me that there was a clone of me, Cecil Black, which is a a Dragon Ball Z reference. First, I'm like, wait, there's like somebody out there. And then they're like, no. And I looked into it and I'm like, oh, this is a Dragon Ball Z reference. And I'm I'm being an old person, aren't I? And then uh, Peter will not be joining us. He had a family issue come up. So Peter should be back next week. But if you guys want to help out the show, we have a Patreon. But also, you guys can go to adamandeve.com. You go to adamandeve.com. You use the promo code DROME. D-R-O-M-E, and you will get 50% off a single item, three free DVDs, a free sex swing, and free U.S. shipping. Just use the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. We've talked about tonight's subject for, I'm, I'm going to bring up new examples, and we have got to talk about low-budget filmmaking, Cecil. There is so much garbage out there. Low-budget filmmaking has taken an even bigger hit of late. Have you seen some of the movies that are coming out now are just so bad looking that they that they look like like they were shit out in a week? Did you see the trailer? I mean, it's only a trailer right now because the movie's not out yet. For Immortal Wars, the new Eric Roberts, Tom Sizemore movie? Yeah, you. Uh, I, I saw that actually because you had posted it. And I was like, oh, how bad could this be? Oh, <laughs> It's not good. It's, um, yeah, it, uh, I, I think that it's weird because there was a time when low budget filmmaking was like, you know, $200,000 budgets now. And I mean, a large portion of that is because a lot of people don't realize because you have people that are like, oh my God, this movie costs 250000 or half a million dollars. And it's like film was expensive. Like film was really expensive. So since moving to the digital era, that has cut out a lot of the expensive film. Cameras are expensive. But once you have a camera, you're not worried about the film as much. We're now getting into this area where it's kind of lowered the bar, where you can go out and get a, a red, you know, film something digitally. There it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be good. You have to have, you know, talent behind it. You have to have a talented crew. You have to have sound people that know how to do their job. You have to still have a post team that knows what they're doing. Really think that I know it's more expensive up front, but the quality is there where if you can have people to do uh, your effects in camera, it's going to be so much better than trying to hire somebody to do low rent CG on the back end. You know, enhance things with CG if you need to have wire removal and all that. That's one thing. But if you're doing like your blood splatter in CG or you're doing like some kind of bad effects in CG, you know, you're not going to get your buddy who's got like two years at like the art institute to be able to like do your effects for you. Some and of I these think movies that's those Cecil, some of these movies don't even have that. I only watched the trailer because I was actually going to rent the movie. My girlfriend didn't want to see it, so I figured, oh, okay, well, maybe I'll rent it next week. I went and checked out the trailer. It was called Grindhouse Nightmares. These are straight out of the box 
purchase After Effects explosions and bullet shots. These aren't even special effects people. These are, we bought software. This is what came with the software. This is in our movie that has Michael Madsen in it and Brigitte Nielsen in it. And the special effects are straight out of the box After Effects, Cecil. Uh, I've seen, uh, like in, in that, the trailer for Titans where Starfire was, I'm not even going to get into that whole thing. She's shooting, which it's stupid. She's not supposed to shoot fire, but she's shooting fire and it's, I, I, I'm like, I have that clip art fire. Like it's, it's, it's just, uh, I'm like, this is, this is awful. Like this is so bad. And this is, you know, coming out of Warner Brothers. Like, why are you putting using, I mean, that's not going into you know, low budget filmmaking, but it's going into why are you putting like, no effort into this? The way Joe Bob Briggs put it when it came to the whole digital era of low budget filmmaking. Yes, you can now do everything cheaper, you know, with the cameras and everything. But he's like, does that mean you still can't add production design? Why can't you add production design? It's really simple because you're lazy. There's a movie I don't know. This kind of falls in with two movies. There's Paranormal Activity and The Innkeepers. And they both, I know Paranormal Activity cost uh, $15,000. And I know uh, The Innkeepers was not expensive, but I don't know the budget off the top of my head. But they both did things differently that kept the budgets low, but kept the movie quality high. Paranormal Activity, they were shooting it, you know, on, on digital. And so that kind of, you know, they weren't really adding any effect except for like the night vision and then the stuff that they did they did in camera they had doors slamming they had uh the one table catch on fire but a lot of that was done you know they added the sounds of footsteps in there and it was all stuff that was very cheap to do but was very very effective similar thing with the innkeeper uh the innkeepers was uh they did the majority of the scares in the movie was through sound effects so they had like if you're watching it a Especially if you're watching it with a good surround sound system, you're hearing voices, you're hearing footsteps, you're hearing creaks and stuff. And that compensated for the fact that the movie was not a very effects heavy, you know, wasn't uh, the haunting Catherine Zeta-Jones. It wasn't this special effects heavy uh, ghost movie. It was a very small but much scarier ghost movie because they compensated for the lack of visual effects by adding audio effects. And I think that's really smart. And it's not going to work every time but again if you have talented people that are doing their job properly then it's going to make it that much more effective well we need to have lots of ghost effects and then it looks like garbage and then it's not scary let's let's stick with audio for a moment let's go back to immortal wars they, they clearly could afford and i'm sure tom sizemore and eric roberts are relatively cheap at this point but they got eric roberts and tom sizemore for this movie the audio in this thing there's so much echo and reverb and it it became clear to me. Now, I used to run audio for the news, okay? I, I ran audio for movies. I was in the sound department. I know audio, Cecil. They were using the live shotgun mic takes. They clearly did not have a boom mic. You watched that trailer. None of that was boomed, was it? Nobody had a lav. That was the shotgun mic on what looked to be a prosumer-grade camera. Huh? Yeah. It was It was awful. It was really bad. Like they, they weren't even putting like the, the minimal, I guess they were putting the minimal amount of effort in because they were using the on cam mic. But yeah, it, it just, it was terrible. It was some, some of the worst audio I've heard in like God. I've, I've heard made for YouTube fan films that 
have had better quality. And this is something that's, you know, has few recognizable actors in it and apparently some modicum of budget. And yet they, they could not even be bothered to, to have good audio. That's just a major thing. If I'm tuning into a movie and it has bad audio, I am all like, that's almost a guarantee that I'm going to be shutting it off. And then the other actors in, in Immortal Wars, let's, I didn't recognize a single person outside of Tom Sizemore and Eric Roberts. They, these were clearly first time actors, weren't they? These were not professionals. When yeah, you're watching were... that trailer, you're going, wow, this is just a friend of the director, isn't it? I was just going to say, this is very obviously, hey, uh, Hey, neighbor, do you know how to act? <laughs> you even get that with, like, you know, I can't believe Don Coscarelli for Phantasm Ravager. I mean, that's got its, its whole, a whole slew of problems. The first character we see is a friend of his who's not an actor. And, oh, my God, can you tell he's not an actor? It's it's funny because there are times where they would get somebody in there who's not an actor, but they're actually good. And sometimes, you know, I mean, not all the time, but there have been times where it's like, oh, yeah, hey, that guy who, you Axel know, he's Foley's a, boss in the first two Beverly Hills Cop movies. Or, I mean, like, really, I mean, wasn't Reggie, like, not an actor, but like he came on to be an actor, you know, and, and I mean, Reggie's Reggie's great. You know, it it just does not. You know, it doesn't mean that everybody can act. I've acted and I'm terrible, but I admit this. I'm like, look, I want to be behind the camera. I don't, I'm not good in front of the camera. You could be as stiff as Brett Favre in something about Mary. <laughs> oh my God. He was, I'm like, that's the real guy. Is Cause I don't know football at all, but I'm like, that's the real guy because he stinks. Something like Immortal Wars. You have to just wonder what is your purpose here? I mean, are you like just like David Dakotoing this and just making product for Netflix or for Hulu or for Redbox? Or are you actually trying to make a movie? Okay, the movie hasn't even come out yet. It's already got a sequel greenlit. So they're clearly trying to do a franchise with this. And you just go, but you have terrible audio. The effects are after effects. The lighting is t is clearly post. You, you clearly didn't have the this all this colored lighting on set. The acting is terrible. What what are you, what's your goal here? And a part of this, I think, is the audience. That whole so bad it's good. The audience loves to this movie looks terrible. Let's check it out. And I think there are certain companies that pander to that asylum who don't care about quality. They just care that the audience is going to enjoy it. Whether the effects are good or not, the audience is going to like it anyway. And I think that it's again lazy, Cecil. It's such a mixed bag. Uh, I think it's kind of sad too when the asylum can be seen as like a level of quality that even these movies can aspire to. I think that like there have been movies where I'm like, okay, this looks terrible. I need to see it, but it's rare. Like there was a movie that came out a while ago that was called Tsunami and it was about a tsunami of bees. And I thought, all right, you know what? I need to see this. And it ended up being god off, but they, you know, they got me to watch it. So I, you know, they succeeded and I did a review on it even, uh, where they can get at least a few people to watch it. But there are some movies that just are so terrible. Like this one, I'm getting the feeling that it's supposed to be some sort of mockbuster, 
but I don't know what exactly they would be. It looks um, like a bunch of mutants, so maybe this was supposed to be if Dark Phoenix ever comes out. But I'm not entirely sure what this is even supposed to be ripping off, and uh, and that's that's bad. I mean, uh, and, um, but like you said, maybe it's supposed to be ripping off the Dark Phoenix movie that may or may not ever be released. I don't know. It looks awful, regardless. But then you've got something like I brought up earlier, Grindhouse Nightmares. You know, the, the cover art looked interesting, and I'm like, oh, okay, well, you know... I, I figured it would be shot on video. You know, it's like, okay, it's got Michael Madsen and Brigitte Nielsen in it. Clearly, phone, Michael Madsen looks like he does not want to be there, judging by the trailer, which is about, you know, apropos for Madsen these days. I'm watching the trailer and I'm going, the bulk of this movie is shot on green screen. The effects are straight out of the box after effects. The costumes look like you got them at a Spencer's Gifts. And they're going, we're bringing back the grind house. And I'm thinking... No, you're not. How is this supposed to even equate to the tone of a Grindhouse movie? All you're doing is you're making shit when Doug Walker has better production values than you. You need to quit. I'm I'm doing a movie this week where I'm talking largely about exploitation and about how exploitation does not automatically mean bad. You know, it means that there are certain things that they're looking for. You know, it's taking it's exploiting a current trend. It's exploiting a current genre. They're usually have uh, lots of violence and action and nudity. And, you know, they talk about uh, it goes after um, topics that uh, mainstream movies wouldn't really touch. It's exploiting. Yes. And so but the thing is, there still is effort that's put into them i mean some of them there wasn't but i mean you're going to get that in any kind of film whereas these they they're trying to be exploitative but they're not putting forth any effort they're just making garbage for the sake of hey you know somebody will watch this because it's garbage now i know we're going to talk about neil breen i don't with with Neil Breen, his movies are really low budget and, you know, they have their audience and they're bad. But I think in his head, he seems oddly of, sincere, doesn't he? Yeah. Like that's that's the thing about Neil Breen. And that's kind of why I like his stuff is because I think that he wants to make something good and he thinks he's making something good, but it's not good. Ed Wood. Uh, that, yeah. I mean, it, he he like in his heart, you know, he wants to be a filmmaker. Who's the other one? Uh, the Birdemic guy. I I don't think he is sincere. I I think the Birdemic guy, I think he's just a completely untalented and clueless. Well, I think with Birdemic, I think he was sincere. After Birdemic, I think, is when he was like, okay, you know, I'm just going to... Because, I mean, if you see Birdemic 2, Birdemic 2 is is just like, all right, yeah, this is like... It it doesn't have the charm that the first one had, whereas the first one, he was like... He legitimately was trying. He just was failing. And you kind of with with Neil Breen in a way, it's like his stuff is so off the wall and cheap and goofy that uh, and and you, you see him, he just seems sincere about it. So in in his case, I can't hate it. Things where you're just like, oh, this stinks. But like in the case of Neil Breen, he seems to have taken the wrong message from how quote popular his movies have got. He seems to have taken the message people really like them the way I'm making them, so I don't need to be better. That's well, the I mean- wrong message. Well, the the thing is, if his stuff gets better, it might become less popular, oddly and enough. And that's the audience's fault. 
I, I, but it, I mean, you know, it's like the Tommy Wiseau thing. People love Tommy Wiseau for being completely incompetent, and Tommy Wiseau seems to eat that up. And it's like you are loving the fact that that people love the fact that you're a failure. Well, he didn't initially. He went after people for for not seeing like the brilliance of his vision. It wasn't really until the turnaround where and then he, he was a less self-aware Justin Price. Yeah. Well, that we'll see. We'll get into Justin Price in a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll touch on eh, eh, whatever. But yeah, I think that uh, I think that Tommy Wiseau kind of saw the like he saw the market that he was going to have and decided to go after that. Uh, you know, he was like, oh wait, I'm not being recognized as a genius. I'm being recognized as like you know for for his great comedy and you know, oh, thank you for my you know loving my comedy. And it's like oh. the only reason it's it's just it ended up being that it's not you know it wasn't supposed to be that. But then you have people like Justin Price. Justin Price is a, and I'm using the term filmmaker here very loosely, he's a filmmaker that thinks independent automatically means it's better. This is a guy who releases between four to five films a year, and they're awful. The production design, acting, the scripts, the effects, they're terrible. But he says, because it's independent, it's better than all that big budget crap that's coming out in the multiplexes. They've got all this money and they're making garbage. I'm making true films. I mean, I think when I... I just eviscerated his movie Alien Reign of Man, which should have a colon in it. It's a, it should be Alien Reign of Man, but the on-screen title is Alien Reign of Man, so even the title doesn't make sense, but whatever. I eviscerated his film, and he unloaded on me that I don't know crap, all I like is big Hollywood garbage, and I bet I liked Star Wars and all this, and I believe you had a similar encounter with Mr. Price, did you not? Yeah, I, um, I had no idea who he was. I just know that I get a ton of screeners, and I check them out when i can and uh and i saw there was a movie called the 13th friday i laughed because i was like all right well this is obviously a you know they're trying to do a knockoff of friday the 13th i'd give it a shot you know what the hell it was one of the worst movies i've ever seen and i don't say that lightly worst as incompetent Worst as incompetent, yes. It was, I mean, the, the audio was bad, the effects were bad, the story was bad, the acting was bad, everything about the film was bad. Everything about the film screamed, I've seen student films that were better than this. And this was terrible. So I, you know, I don't, when, when I'm doing like my movie reviews, I'm like fair, but I'm not, I'm not mean. You know, I'm not like, oh, you know, an asshole would, you know, I'm not like bad mouthing the guy or whatever. I'm just, you know, I might throw in a joke or something here and there talking about how terrible it is. But I mean, I'm not outright attacking anybody for the movie. Well, I just basically gave it a review saying that it was really genuinely terrible and that, you know, you shouldn't like, I'm like, if you like movies, don't watch this movie. I mean, I'm being honest. I'm not going to sugarcoat something just to not hurt an independent filmmaker's feelings. I've actually had a few filmmakers who I gave their movies bad reviews and they contacted me and they said, thank you. They're like, I did this when I was, you know, however, you know, I did this when I was younger, but it didn't get released till now. I've learned a lot more and I'm hoping that my new stuff is better. Thank you for at least giving it a shot. That's completely cool. Now, he, on the other hand, wrote this long run on sentence about how similar to Josh 
Josh's experience. I, I, I don't I, I want to stop you for a second. It also was full of spelling errors, no punctuation, and randomly capitalized words in the middle of sentences. It was amazing to read his response, Cecil. It took me a good couple of minutes to read it because of the way it was like like put in there. It was so like I'm like, wait, what is this a new sentence? Like <laughs> and word you know, like you said, randomly capitalized words and, and misspellings and it just it was hard to read. But essentially the the bottom line was I only like mainstream films, which if you know me, you know that is obscenely false. Same with me. I hate almost everything main remember when I did my best no, of twenty seventeen? Almost everything. <laughs> no, no. Remember when I did my best of twenty seventeen? There was not one mainstream movie on that list, and I was called an effete snob for that because I just love mainstream movies apparently. Yeah, but he was like, you know, you because I the thing was I think the week when I did Thirteenth Friday was the week that I did um uh It was Happy Death Day, he called it. Happy you Death Day, on. thank you. I was trying I'm like happy birthday, like happy death day. Happy death day, which I legitimately if you've seen the movie I you, enjoyed I, it too and that's coming and, from me, Cecil. From him, jo- like, like you, you don't like anything new, and you liked. I mean, I went it like was not expecting that movie to be any good, and it was legitimately fun. It was a really good time, and so I did it. You know, I gave it a very positive review, and so he wrote in there. You know, you only like mainstream garbage, like Happy Death Day, that cost twenty million dollars, and I'm like, well, first of all, Happy Death Day cost I think four point eight million dollars. I'm like, which is still a lot of money, but there's a big difference between. Between 4.8 and 20 million, just showing, you know, how he doesn't know what he's talking about. And then, you know, did he went through the usual, I am a racist. I am, and I, I had no clue the race of the director. We need to point out Justin Price is black, and anytime a white critic does not like one of his movies, it's because they're racists. Yeah, and I'm a racist. And I'm like, I did, did I say in the review at all? Like, did I, did I, that I didn't like it? No, I said the movie was terrible, and I gave a pretty good listing as to why the movie was terrible. I did the same thing with Alien Reign of Man, and I took screen caps of my screener to put in my article when I was writing it for Forces of Geek. It's clearly, you can see actors reading off cue cards off screen. You can see their eyes not looking at the person they're supposedly talking to. There's incompetent framing, where there's way too much space at the bottom of the frame, but the top of the person's head is cut off. There there are things that there are lines of dialogue earlier that there's no vegetation whatsoever on this planet and then they've got a big fire with sticks in it and you you know i pointed out like where the sticks come from shut the fuck up it's independent leave me alone yeah yeah he was insufferable so the thing was i had a a a um, a bunch of screeners and there was a movie uh, that was supposed to be a horror film about the elf on the shelf and I was excited because I'm like oh my god an elf on the shelf horror film and I saw that and I was like nope Justin Price the elf yep not well I'm not not reviewing it and then there were all these you know ones that were coming in and any movie that had his name attached I'm like, all right, well, if if I'm awful and I don't understand your brilliance, well, then I'm just not going to take the time to review your movies. Because the thing is, even if I'm giving it a bad review, it sucks, yes, but it is giving you exposure. It is giving, you know, I'm talking about it. And when, you know, it, you know, there might still be people that are like, oh, I want to see this because you talked about it. I want to see if it's that bad, you know, and it's still, you know, giving it some kind of exposure. But you're going to come at me and tell me 
that, uh, you know, I'm this, that, and the other thing, and I don't understand your brilliance. Well, I guess I'm just not good enough to watch your stuff, so I'm not going to watch your stuff. I'm going to focus on somebody else. I'm going to give somebody else a shot and watch, you know, something else. And, you know, uh, maybe you've done some brilliant movie that uh, I may have missed, but, hey, you're going to be a dick. I'm, I'm just not going to give you the time of day then, you know? It's, and it, it would be one thing if I was unnecessarily rude if i was insulting him as a person if i was insulting the cast or or saying you know like like really inappropriate things but i kept everything focused on the the movie itself was bad and he couldn't take criticism price and there are some others out there i they have this great deflection to the criticism from people like you and me at least i'm making movies how many movies have you made oh, so whole... the fact that i don't make crap means i can't criticize crap it, it, it's sort of the same thing like so okay if you go to the garage and they screw your car up because you're not a mechanic you're not allowed to complain if you go and eat out at a restaurant they mess up your meal i'm not a chef i don't have a right to complain so you have to be a shit filmmaker to be able to criticize shit films yeah with the art in general i think there is a better understanding like i mean i've i've worked on you know insignificant budget films i've know you've you've worked on some you know that have had much more merit than the shit that i've worked on so i still have the basic fundamental knowledge of and i've studied films so i know what i'm talking about now some people will argue that i don't know what i'm talking about i know what i'm talking about cecil's uh, always wrong i know you're you're no you're wrong you also know what you're talking about so i mean there is an element of that where you do get some people that don't understand for example um the people who watched pulp fiction and they didn't understand that the movie was taking place out of order well that's just stupidity that's just being dumb so if they were criticizing the film for that then you would have some kind of all right well you're just you know you don't understand the way that this stuff works but the same you know but but going off of you know you can't criticize a film because you don't make them yeah if 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 the chef poops on your plate and well i made this it's like well i i don't have to eat this and the same thing it's like you're gonna you're gonna poop on my screen i i don't have to like this you also have this thing with, uh, you know, Justin Price is one of them, but then Jared Cohen is another one. All they do is make movies. They make garbage one after the other, after the other, after the other, after the other. Jared Cohen makes, he directs between five and six films a year. And according to him, you know, he's a, he's a working director and you don't have a right to criticize him. You, all you, all you critics out there, you, you wish you had my job. Dude, when you have two months to conceive, shoot, edit, and get a film out, it is not going to be good. It cannot be good. It can't be. Cause I remember I, I ran into to Jared Cohen. My girlfriend and I were just flipping through Hulu and there was a movie. Now I, I will give him this. It's a fantastic title. Halloween Pussy Trap Kill Kill. That's a great title. So but I'll give I would, him that. I would know if it was something made after 2000, I would, I, with that title, I could guarantee that it was going to be garbage. And it was. Well, first of all, I've never seen a movie that tried so hard to be a Rob Zombie movie in my life. This is like if Rob Zombie hit his head, got a traumatic brain injury, got retarded, and then tried to still make movies. That's what this movie looked like. It was trying so hard to be a Rob Zombie movie. And it was so bad. You get Jared Cohen deflecting all criticism. Hey, I'm making movies. You're not. Yeah, you're yeah. making garbage. Yeah, I mean, it's like, okay, then, you know, whatever. Like, okay, good. You you got me. You're ma you made you're making crap. I mean, if you can 
make crap and succeed, uh, then okay, fine. You're, you're, I mean, I will give credit to a certain degree that even bad filmmakers, they are out there doing something that doesn't mean by default that I have to like what you're making. Or that it's any good. I mean, not even necessarily bad filmmakers. I mean, have you seen what Roger Corman and Charles Band have been putting out the last few years? I feel bad for these guys. They used to make real movies on film with actual special effects. Now they're shooting movies in their office on digital, on green screen. And you're just like, what happened, guys? I mean, I, I get, I actually know what happened. The market fell out and whatnot. I, I remember when I saw, what was it, Death Race 3000? The, the, the new, the new one that Roger Corman put out, not the Jason Statham franchise. Yeah, I know. I think yeah. it was, I think it was Death Race 3000. I think, I think it was 3000 with Jason Mewes. Jason Mewes. Is Malcolm McDowell's in it? Wasn't, I thought Jason Mewes was in it. Uh, Maybe. I, I don't remember. I, I gave up after 20 minutes. I couldn't. Oh, the, you the, maybe didn't get to him. <laughs> this whole movie shot on green screen, and I'm just like, Roger, why did you even do this? Just stop. Protect your legacy, man. 20, this movie. Death Race 2050. That, that's it, yeah. I, I knew it was a new one, and it's a different franchise than the other Death Race, blah, blah, blah. I, no, the movie's not out yet, but I just saw a trailer for, and yes, this is the actual title, Fags in the Fast Lane, made by gay <laughs> filmmakers. That's a great title. It really is. It's another shot on video. Everyone in the trailer looks like they are the first time acting, and it looks like they're using the first takes. There's no production design, no color, no no dynamic lighting, nothing. It looks like they. Ju- it looks like a Doug Walker video with cross dressers, and it's just like, why? Why did you even make this? Then people have often said to me, "I shouldn't be judging other people's vision. I shouldn't be telling them what is art." Okay? Yes. I'm going to. If you take a shit in a pizza box and put it in a museum and claim it's art, that doesn't make it art. That makes it shit in a pizza box. You can call anything art. I love Lloyd Kaufman. You know I love Lloyd Kaufman. One thing I so disagree with him on is you should not let a budget get in your way. He's like, whether you have $10,000, $1,000, or $10, make your movie. Don't let anyone tell you you can't make your movie. And I'm going, no, if you can't do it, for the budget you have. If you need a big, sprawling, sci-fi epic about dykes from outer space who have huge spaceships made of dongs and everything and space battles and all this, and you've got a thousand bucks, you can't make that movie. Don't make that movie. You have to work within your budget. Oh, we haven't we haven't had a you in a while. I think uh, going back a, a little ways, uh, I was gonna say uh, if you shit in a pizza box enough, you could have sold it to Ed Savitz and had enough money to uh, to pay for your uh, your film. Little little uh, little old school local references for you. Movies like I can't. I still I've seen Charlie Band's more recent stuff, and it doesn't have the you know it doesn't have the quality. Of the old full moon and i know they're they're really they're trying but i can't not love them like they're to me like they're still at least trying a lot of the the more recent corman stuff felt just they they weren't even trying i mean i haven't seen the death race 2000 i actually looked at it and i was thinking of another film uh, uh something else entirely some some kind of uh action movie that had jason muse in it that was basically a death race kind of movie but um so i haven't seen this one uh, a lot of that stuff like it just not does not have the uh the effort 
that a lot of these old films had. And I think that if instead of trying to crank out, you know, however, you know, 10 of these a year or something, maybe if they just kind of focused on one and were able to put enough effort into it, and maybe it might elevate beyond, you know, making a couple of bucks. It might make, I mean, I know it's, it's a, it's a bigger risk, but there's but also no, 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 the chance no, no. for a bigger reward. Okay. Budget should not dictate the product. You've got stuff like like Roger Corman or Justin Price and all that. They're like, well, we didn't have the money. We could only do this. No. I'm going to give you a couple of examples right now. You look at David Irons with a movie like Cassette, or you know, it's going to be released as Identity Crisis, but it's the same movie. You look at Joe Barden with The God Inside My Ear. You look at Graham Skipper with, you've, you've seen Sequence Break. These are all mm-hmm. super low-budget movies. Do they look low-budget? No, they don't. They have great lighting. They have great effects, all all practicals. They have great editing. They look good. They have good acting. Cassette slash Identity Crisis was made on $2,000. I know you've only seen the trailer, but remember when I showed you that trailer? That looks like a $100,000 movie, doesn't it? Hey, go back and look at El Mariachi. El Mariachi was made for $7,000. Exactly. It looks amazing. It so looks amazing. I am so sick of, I'm so sick of people like Price and Cohen and Corman bitching about, well, we only had $50,000, so it could only look like this. No! Check out God Inside My Ear. Go check out Sequence Break. You can't check out Cassette Identity Crisis because it's not out yet. You, you can check out the trailer. These are super low-budget movies that look amazing. The God Inside My Ear was made on $8,000. Just looking at the trailer, if you didn't know that, you'd go, this is a $100,000 film. It's got to be. One of the major problems is in something like Death Race 2000 is that... Death Race 2050. Well, sorry, Death Race 2050. Because Death Race 2000 is actually good. Oh, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. With, With something like Death Race 2050 is it's like maybe recognize that you can't do all of the visual stuff that you want to do. Dial some things back. Same thing with some other films that uh, are low budget, but uh, like they'll try to have like this special effects extravaganza throughout a 90 minute film, but like they can only afford maybe one or two shots. So it's like make one or two shots really good. Like make one or two really amazing visual effects shots instead of trying to put 50 of them in the movie that are piss poor. Or maybe, you know, try to, to come up with, with alternative solutions like that was one of the beauties of the low budget filmmaking back in uh, the day where uh it's like they they would try to work around okay how do we make this work you know what can we do practically to make this work the, the head from the thing was held onto a skateboard by chewing gum you know and that's a universal film and that's a and i mean so i'm saying they they found a like a way around and that's one of the most terrifying moments in movie history you know, and it's it's just it's hilarious. There seems to be I think a lot of it is the people that are, are making the lower budget films now uh, have kind of been brought up in the iMovie age. They can just kind of slap things together and add in some effects and call it a movie instead of actually trying to look for uh, alternative solutions to making something work, to maybe not putting 50 million visual effects in there that they can't afford or they can't actually do. But but see, one of the things is you have to write to your budget. Like I said, if your movie has got space battles and mutants and all this in it and you've got 10,000 bucks, you can't do it. 
See Courtney Joyner. There was this documentary series that uh, that was put out by Shock by Shock Cinema or Shock Video a few years ago. Well, many years ago. That was hosted by Brink Stevens, and he was talking about writing for all of these. This is in the early '90s, the direct-to-video era, and people would be like, "Okay, we want this and this and this," and he's like, "Well, what's your budget?" And they're like, "Just write whatever you want. We'll figure it out." But he's and he was trying to explain to them as a screenwriter. But if I write big sprawling space battles and you only have a million dollars, it's not going to work and they're like we'll figure it out we'll figure it out and he Hmm. was right you write to your budget if you've only got if you you know for for that era of direct-to-video a million dollars wasn't only i know to us do you know what what kind of movies we could make for a million bucks cecil jesus but oh yeah you know at, at that point a million bucks he's like you have to write to your budget. If you're just goofing around with your friends in the backyard, that's fine. Like, look at all the SOV movies. All those terrible SOV movies that came out in the 80s and early 90s. They were god awful and i do give the filmmakers credit for trying something but that doesn't mean it's any good low-budget filmmakers seem to think they automatically get credit just for putting out the product no you don't you have to try let's go back to a low-budget movie i know you've seen you watch sequence break right graham skipper's sequence break love sequence break and uh, there was another one that that graham was in uh that was beyond the gates beyond the gates well was he, he didn't one. make that one though he no, was only no, in he, that I'm, he directed sequence break he was in Beyond the Gates, but it was also another low-budget film that came out about the same time. And I thought that a similar thing. I thought that they they compensated for their lack of uh, a budget with effects very well. They did a lot of smoke to obscure things, and and the they super kind of, stylized lighting and sequence. Yeah, the break. super stylized lighting and sequence break, and their overuse of what I'm assuming was probably like KY jelly and stuff. You know, uh, for for some of the more gloopy segments. Well, but, uh, th- th- there's there's also something to be said for literal practicals. Now, I interviewed Graham Skipper. I haven't played the interview yet. I'll, I'll do that in a later episode. But remember the scene where where Oz is pulling all of those computer cords out of his throat and it just kind of keeps going? Yeah. Those were practical. Oh, yeah. He really swallowed all of those. If this were put out by a Justin Price, ah, we'll just CG it. Nobody will care. Yeah, and then it'll look god-awful. I mean, it's... Because I actually be... wasn't sure. I had to ask Graham, did he really... Yeah, they're like, yeah, you know, they lubed it up and they put it down his throat and it was like, Jesus, talk about commitment as an actor, too. That's, that's rough, man. That's, that's, oof. That's, I guess he's got a good gag reflex. Or lack of. Or lack thereof. There's a movie I'm going to bring up, uh, a movie I gave a, uh, a very positive review to. Oh, was it 2017? Uh, a movie called The Ice Cream Truck from Megan Frills Johnson. She was the granddaughter of Elmore Leonard. It's very, very story-focused. It's a horror film where... There are, there's some, you know, there's some stabbings and, and whatnot, but it really is, is mostly story. And thus a lot of people were like, it's boring. And I'm like, no, I'm like, I enjoyed the hell out of this. It was interesting. It was well done. It was lit well. You know, all the technical aspects of it were there and I enjoyed it thoroughly. And I know that it was, I don't know exactly how much it cost, but I know that it was low budget. It was just funny that like something like that was very, 
very competently done and low it, budget does not have to be crap. It yeah. does not have to look like crap. I, I'm going to go back to David Iron's cassette identity crisis. This is a period movie set in 1985 with 1985 hair, clothes, and things like that. That's got super stylized, all in camera lighting and all original soundtrack for $2,000. And you would never guess it was that low. And you look at something like a Justin Price film, which has 40 times the budget, like the 13th Friday, that just looks like ass. The acting's terrible. The soundtrack is derivative. There's no stylized lighting. There's no stylized direction. Everything is terrible. You know what the difference is? Skill. I think with, with Justin Price, too, with his movie, I mean, I've only seen the 13th Friday because I refuse to watch anything I've else. I've seen, like, three or four of his. They're but, all just, Okay, if you've seen 13th Friday, you've seen all of his movies. They just have different plots. It's, it's basically everybody's line ADR because in that, none of the voices match the person speaking, and it all, none of it sounded right. In Alien Reign of Man, yes, it, it seems like a lot of it was ADR, but also there's one point. Now, remember, I had a screener that I downloaded, and for free, I did not bootleg it, Justin. If you hear this, I got it as a legit screener. When I was watching it, at one point, the audio and video went out of sync, <laughs> like like laser blasts and then like an explosion when it hit a rock. You know, obviously After Effects, but they were out of sync by about a second and a half. And then after that scene, they went back in sync. So I thought for a second, my I'm like, oh, because, you know, that sometimes happens on digital screeners. The audio and video will slip a little bit. But then it went back, and I'm just like... That was in the released version. The audio and video are out of sync in the version he fucking released. Uh, it's inexcusable. I, I, I do, I do want to talk about a movie we haven't seen yet. I know you've seen the trailer. And I, I, I want to, I'm so excited for this movie. I don't know what the budget is, but you've seen the trailer for Mandy, right? Yeah. Looks like, now again, I don't know the budget, but it, it, it's got this low budget feel to it. That movie looks amazing doesn't it yeah i uh, I talk about super stylized man looks very cool and i actually find myself like i like you know a big a big action movie a big uh you know a 200 million dollar movie i mean but i am starting to get kind of tired of a lot of the movies that have huge budgets but are very low effort everything's put into the visuals but like there's little to no story and i figure that you know if you're gonna have all that money in there you could you could afford to have like a decent story to go along with it. Now I'm not saying that, you know, there's pay nothing- the writer more than the effects crew. Well, maybe not pay the, I mean, you know, when, when you have your effects crew, you have a crap ton of people to pay for, but I'm simply saying pay the writer like a decent amount. Don't, don't make that like, Oh God, we've got five bucks left. All right, let's get a script going, you know, or give it to this intern to rewrite. But I think that you could, I like a big dumb action movie. There's nothing wrong with that. There are big dumb action movies that are still like fun and are, are well enough written. But then there are big dumb action movies that are ungodly dumb. Transformers 2 dumb. And I know the whole story behind that. There was a writer strike and everything. There's no reason for, for that kind of garbage. And so I think that what a lot of these things do, and this goes back to low budget filmmaking, is that low budget or high budget, the thing that you need to focus on the most is the writing. Because if you have a strong story and you have a story that is something that you can afford to do properly 
then you can do it, and if you have the skill, it'll actually be good. And I think that that's one of the big things here. It comes down to skill. When you have people like Joe Barden and Graham Skipper and David Irons, they are skilled filmmakers. When you have a Jared Cohen and a Justin Price or a David Dakota, and I'm only talking modern David Dakota, they just put out product. Like recently, David Dakota comes to mind because recently, did you watch the 24-hour Joe Bob Briggs last last drive-in thing? Yeah, I didn't watch all of it. I watched as much as I could, like Rabid and Sleet and yeah. But anyway, one one of the movies that he showed was Sorority Babes and the Slime Ball Bolorama, and he's talking about how the whole movie shot in 12 days, and you know all this was rushed and everything. And you go, yeah, but look at that movie. Amazing lighting, great camera angles. He uses silhouettes a lot with backlighting. He's got great costumes. The movie looks like a movie. And then you look at the stuff David Dakota was just shitting out onto video today. You just ask yourself, how is this the same filmmaker? Even Uncle Impy. Like, it's, it's a hand, it's an obvious hand puppet. And it's still like, all right, you know, I'm, I'm good with, with Sorority as the Slime Bolorama. It's like, yes, okay, I'm cool with this. Even something as, you know, a, a low budget effect of that degree, a hand puppet playing a demon, but it's still, it's funny and it works within the context of the film and it's done well enough that you're like, okay, cool. But yeah, like you said, but then you go and you watch any of the nine gazillion 1313 movies, they just, they, they they're crapped out in like, what, a, three days? There, I, I, and I like, I mean, you go back and watch, look at Creepazoids. Creepazoids, like, has effort put into it. And, it's, it, and it has a low-budget charm. You can tell it's low-budget, but Dakota was trying. Yeah, I think he's gotten to a point where he just... I think he doesn't care anymore. He doesn't, he doesn't care, and I, I guess, but he's still making films, but, and I mean, I want, I want to go back to, like, Puppet Master 3 time and, you know, make that kind of movie, because he's, he, he's got, he does have the skill. Like, he's proven he has the skill. But I guess, yeah, I guess he just, you know, he found his niche and he just kind of goes with it and doesn't really, you know, give a crap anymore, I guess. It, 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 it's the same thing with, like, Albert Pune. You and I grew up on Albert Pune movies, and his stuff was always relatively low budget, you know? I love Albert Pune. Have you seen the stuff he's been shitting out lately? Like, Intergalactic Civil War or Road to Hell? He, he seems to have embraced the, we can shoot the whole movie on a green screen and it'll still be good. I I'm sorry, Albert. I love you. But no, it's not. If you shoot the whole movie on a green screen, there is zero chance of it being a good film. Zero. I kind of chalk it up to more of just he's having he's having problems. He's having, you know, health problems, which is why he's not putting out the the caliber of, of content that he used to. I mean, he's not doing he's not doing Nemesis. He's not doing Dollman. You know, he's doing was it Bullet Face? <laughs> Those kind of well, movies. I, I just remember, you know, I, I remember when I saw the trailer for Intergalactic Civil War. And yes, that's the stupid title. I was shocked. When I saw Albert Pune's name show up, I was like, Albert, how? Yeah, you brought us Sword and the Sorcerer. You brought us Radioactive Dreams. Radioactive and now you've got a whole movie shot on green screen, man. Too many people use green screen as a, we can't afford locations or sets, so we'll just do them in post. And then, you know, they don't chroma uh, correctly, and so you can still see the green highlights in people's hair. Or you can just tell, I mean, even even the best green screen, it just it doesn't gel with the people usually. You can usually tell 
Yeah, that's not a real background. There's been a lot. I think they're, they're, it, it depends. Sometimes I'm completely fooled. Other times it's like, oh God, that looks, that, it, it, yeah, it just, it sticks out like a sore thumb. The trap that low budget filmmaking of today falls into good enough. They consider it good enough. Now, this has always been a problem. I am not trying to alleviate stuff like Curse of the Cannibal Confederates or Raiders of Atlantis or anything like that from, you know, the 70s and 80s and whatnot. But those were, again, they were shot on film. And this is maybe a snobbish thing of me. By, by its definition with film grain hides a lot of problems. You've seen, like, when you try and watch Star Trek The Next Generation or Deep Space Nine on Blu-ray, just how bad they look without film grain. Film hides a lot of problems. Digital, with digital, you can see every imperfection, every fake part of the costume. Digital is not your friend when you're... When you're a low budget filmmaker. Yeah, there's, um, when, when Blu-ray first really took off, they were, uh, a lot of people were panicking because it showed the imperfections in makeup. It showed like the imperfections in like some of the sets and stuff and stuff that was being hidden before was now coming out and was crystal clear. So I think that that does, I mean, that's not the fault of an older movie because you know back then you would look at it from the film grain and, and you wouldn't really be able to see it but now you know that's being transferred to digital and whatnot you're getting these really crisp clear visions of it and it's not you're, it's not getting blurred as much and you're seeing things more uh, I do think that's something that they do need to address but there are you know there's ways around it and I really think that there needs to be a return to practical effects CG enhancements I know I'm, I'm it's a it's a thing that I'm I'm constantly trumpeting. I'm not saying get rid of CG altogether, but I'm saying use it as a tool instead of a crutch because that is where a lot of problems are coming in with films and why even humongous budget films end up looking like garbage. And you also have to realize just because you make something doesn't mean it's good. And yes, I'll say it, that doesn't mean it's art. Go back to my pizza box thing. You can call anything art. That doesn't mean it's art. If you don't have the budget for for your epic, you can't make it. And if you do, if you try to make it on an insufficient budget, you're hurting yourself, you're hurting the film, and you're hurting your audience. Nobody is going to be happy with people like a Justin Price. All he makes is crap. And he needs to realize that. You also need to learn how to take criticism. When your deflection is, it's either racist or a rambling, misspelled, just hate-tweeted-out response, you need to learn how to take criticism. Maybe people are going to say, I'm attacking Justin Price and Jared Cohen. And maybe I am. I think they're garbage filmmakers. He, he, here, here's the ultimate test. Prove me wrong. Make an amazing movie that knocks me on my ass. Prove me wrong. I was more than ha- like after seeing the the 13th Friday, I was fine with initially I was planning on going to see uh, the elf. I was going to watch his other movies and, you know, him coming in and, you know, like giving me a hard time. Like I said, it made me not want to watch the rest of his thing. So that's another that's I mean, people need to learn. Look, man, nobody likes criticism. You get it and you kind of have to recognize when somebody is being right and somebody's being wrong. I've had people, you know, give me criticism over things where I was like, oh, and I and I was like, yeah, that did kind of suck or that wasn't, you know, this or oh, I messed this up or something. That's different. You suck. And here's why. 
and just, you know, uh, giving me a bunch of reasons that don't equate to anything. So when I was bad mouthing his film, I wasn't being a dick. I was just saying that it was not good. And I gave some pretty valid reasons as to why it was not good. And he could not take that. And it sucked. And it was a shame because I'm like, all right, fine. You know, uh, I'm just not going to bother with your stuff anymore. So uh, that's uh, spent it. We did spend a lot of time talking about him. I didn't really think we were going to. I think the reason we did that, whether we meant to or not, is he is endemic of the problem that low budget filmmaking has right now. He is an exemplifier of everything that's wrong of the I don't care about the audio. I don't care about the video. I just want to make this thing and then not being able to accept that it's not amazing. I think that is endemic of what we're talking about. And he is sort of the face of it right now. I would go so far as to say somebody like Ed Wood at least put more effort into it. Like there were there were obvious flaws and problems in his movies, but not to the degree of a lot of the, you know, I don't care about this stuff, bad filmmakers that we have now. A lot of ones that just like now there's really no excuse for having bad audio and, uh, you know, being out of focus or having, I mean, special effects, that's a whole other animal. If you can't at the very least have decent lighting and decent audio, then you really you you need to just not like because those are the two fundamental things that you need to be able to to at least make a semi-competent film and i've seen so many where they could not even do that there was a, a movie i reviewed not too long ago or a movie that i, I saw not too long ago rather um and they were uh, it was a, it was a, a bunch of friends they get together they make these movies on like you know on like 500 bucks and they're not particularly good movies which is why i'm not going to say i don't want to you know throw any shade their way but they're not particularly good movies but they at least have good audio and they're like stuff's in focused uh, in focus they're trying and that's more than i could say for some of the new wave of like you know uh of lower budget uh asylum knockoff companies that are just cranking out garbage so i guess my final thought is don't be justin price don't be jared cohen be a graham skipper be a david irons be a joe barton be a robert rodriguez Going back to El Mariachi, people who have the talent, and I'm not saying they don't need a budget, can put out really good films that just exceed their budget. That's my thought, is don't just shovel shit. Don't be David Dakota now. Be David Dakota in 1988. Yeah, I'm kind of down with that. Be be David Dakota. Be young David Dakota, not old David Dakota. And it's a shame. I like David Dakota. I, I I think he's a very nice guy, but uh, I I just think that uh, the his his effort is uh, is lost in the uh, the 80s and 90s. So where can people find Cecil? So I'm sure I'm sure somebody will send this to Justin Price. And we're both going to get emails. So where can people email Cecil? Oh, please don't. Like I or or at least Justin, if you do email us, can you use actual sentences, capitalize just words that are meant to be capitalized, and for God's sake, use a spell checker. Try to be a cut above. You know, I say that at the end of every show. Remember, Cecil, try to be a cut above. I'm talking to you, Justin. Well, now you're being inflammatory. If you have any problems with this episode, you can send them all to uh, Josh at Radiodrome or or twelve oh one beyond twelve oh one beyond at gmail dot com. Leave me alone. I just I just occasionally come on here and well, I came on here every week and talk about stuff. I'm not you know I I don't need any hate mail. Well, where can people find you? You if can you wish to follow you. if you wish to follow me. Putting forth as much effort as I possibly can as one person. Uh, you can find me over at uh, Good Bad Flicks on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, Facebook. And 
and 1201beyond.com. And uh, again, 1201beyond at gmail.com. My website is 1201beyond.com. And I really do mean this. Try to be a cut above, people. Keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. Have a good night. Radiodrome is a 1201 Beyond production. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.